this is Drew Malone, and thank you for stepping into the frame. I'm Drew Malone, I'm the host of The Take. Today's topic is the coronavirus again, but a little bit of a different topic, a little bit of a different take than we were taking on it last time. This time we're going to talk about what do we do and how do we get out of this coronavirus event? And we're going to take a perspective on some of the real consequences this coronavirus could have. First, before we get into the potential solutions we could have getting out of this coronavirus, let's talk about some of the potential uh, threats this coronavirus leaves with us. Now, the real threat I see it is a uh, long-term experiencing this. And unfortunately, right now, we it does seem like it's going to be uh, something that's with us for a while. And the longer this thing goes on, the more pain we're going to have economically and the more pain we're going to have societally. Because right now you have businesses closing. Right now you have uh, banks beginning to fail. I just heard about one in uh, West Virginia that failed. And the more social consequences you're going to have. And one really only needs to look over to Italy to see the potential consequences of a long-term shutdown. And that's in the form of riots, that's in the form of protests, that's in the form of uh, crime, uh, organized crime coming to power. And that's exactly what's happening in Italy. And right now, the EU, it's essentially uh, in threat to shut down and break apart. It's one of those existential threats where as much as the European Union wants to say they're united, really when it comes to a solution to a problem like this, everyone kind of goes to their own camp and the whole ideal of uh, unity from a European perspective becomes a sham because they're not really united. And that's unfortunate. But moreover, coming to an economic standpoint, we still have issues. And we will probably have issues. You see, when... Uh, businesses fail. It, it not only affects uh, business, but it affects people. They begin to lose their jobs. They begin having to dip into their savings. And it, it becomes disastrous, absolutely disastrous consequences for people. And what happens when the the bank comes to collect on uh, business revenues for business loans and they can't pay them. Well, one must imagine this happens enough. You have massive business failures, you know? And what happens then when people can no longer get the loans they need, right? When the money just isn't there. Right now, what our best hope seems to be the, uh, the, the federal government, you know, and, 
I never like to say it, you know, as a person who kind of leans on the conservative libertarian side, but we really need the government to step in right now because if it doesn't, businesses fail and uh, banks fail and we have essentially a societal collapse, you know, and the con- the potential consequences of that are so horrific, it would be uh, a much better solution to take debt, take on debt as a an American society. I don't like adding to the U.S. debt. I think it's uh, going to be, again, detrimental to us in the future, but if we don't make the right decisions now, if we don't make the hard decisions now, um, there will be consequences and and terrible consequences. So right now, the best solution would seem to be to essentially freeze the economy as the as many other countries have done by uh, paying businesses to keep um, their payroll intact. And that seems to be the prevailing solution right now until we can do something else, you know? It's an unfortunate solution. It's an unfortunate solution because it, when you have the government paying for it, you're not growing the economy, you're not developing uh, uh, just, uh, communities, you're just trying to keep things from falling apart, trying to keep the pieces of, of the puzzle in in place long enough to avert the disaster of coronavirus and then try to go back to some sense of normalcy. But the longer this coronavirus thing goes, goes on, the harder that's going to be to actually achieve. And we have to be really realistic about this. We could, it could go on for so long that... Essentially, it, it, it would be hard to rescue. The, the issue right now that seems to be prevailing across society is not that people can't get help, that people can't get unemployment. That is not the case as it was, say, during the Great Depression, you know, when there were close to the same amount. I mean, there's definitely more people unemployed at this point. But at the height of the Depression, when there was 24% of the nation unemployed, there was, um, they didn't have the system that we had now. They didn't have the social safety net that we had now with unemployment benefits and uh, food stamps and things like that. I mean, the large kind of prevailing theme of the Great Depression was you're kind of on your own when it comes to that. There was some, in some cities, such as New York, there was some semblance of a social safety net, but not much, not much. So we are lucky that things are different nowadays, but the problem is that seems to be that we're having trouble getting uh, necessary funds to people that need it. I've heard reports of 
people waiting days and days and even weeks to hear back from their uh, unemployment office, their state's unemployment office, about uh, whether or not they might receive unemployment. And that's largely because these offices are so overrun with demand that they can't keep up with the with the amount of calls and the amount of uh, e- emails and the amount of uh, requests they're getting for unemployment. They, they can't answer them as fast as the demand is building up. And this is essentially why you see people going to food banks en masse. You see uh, much more poverty in our communities coming out because essentially the money that people need now and, you know, some of these people were already living paycheck to paycheck. And when they're not, and when they don't have that source of revenue or say when they're immunocompromised and you, and their choice is either go work or, you know, get a very disease that could be a death sentence, they choose not to work, you know, and hope that something else happens or it could be the case, of course, where someone chooses to work and puts their lives at risk. And that's, that's an unfortunate choice that some are having to make. But essentially, this is our reality right now. That we are stuck in this place where hard choices have to be made. And sometimes that's the way life is. I've found that hard and difficult choices need to be made. And hard weeks and hard months prevail for a certain amount of time. As the Bible, I always take um, uh, heed from a word from Ecclesiastes where it says, there's a time for everything under the sun, a season for every purpose. And we seem to be in a very strange sort of season now, a a season that many of us have not experienced the likes of before, where the, the whole idea of social concepts have suddenly been changed overnight where our whole world has been tossed upside down and then we've been asked to try to live in the essentially new reality that we're in. And that's rather difficult. That's rather difficult to suddenly change the whole idea of what we're doing in society, the whole idea that we're not going out and being a social people. As many Americans are a very social people and I know I my, myself have have felt the the uh, the personal loss of that time with others. You know, even people I don't know well, relating is important, and that's why I I find it so important. If you can, if you can find a way, try to connect with others on uh, Zoom. Because Zoom is one of those apps where, sure, you can't be in the same room with them, but you can, you can talk and communicate in, in practical ways that, that you feel you're relating to someone person to person. And that's what we need to keep doing. Uh, if, it, if it's regarding older adults, uh, try phone calling them. That's really what they value. I know I try to phone call my grandma, uh, every every couple of days 
And I think that just really brings a lot of comfort to her, you know, especially to those who are isolated away from others, such as people in nursing homes or people in uh, retirement communities. They are very isolated and because they are some of the most susceptible. And we need to be cognizant of that. So we live in a world that is uh, changing in its social and in in its economic framework as we speak. Uh, It seems quite possible that when we come out of this thing, economically, the way we do things might be different. It seems to me very, very possible that once we come out of this, we will be kind of thrust into a world where face-to-face capitalist interaction is not the same anymore. And I feel like we're going to have a burgeoning and growing online and digital presence. And if you want to be a part of the marketplace, it might be the case where we become uh, more dependent upon the online form, at least for a while, because, you know, if this disease is going to be, if this coronavirus is going to be around for a while, we'll want to uh, minimize our our interactions even when things kind of open up a little bit. So it would seem to me that the digital form is going to continue to prevail. And then even in once the uh, lockdown is kind of relaxed a little bit, are we going to be going to those uh, same sort of environments where we're put into a small room with a large amount of people? Are we going to be doing at work? Are we going to be doing business meetings the same way? Or are we going to maybe choose to do some of them over Zoom? Or or is there going to be a different orientation? And that's that's sort of the interesting thing. I was a history major in college and one of the interesting things could be uh even our architecture subtly changes over time to where it features more uh um kind of open room concepts where people don't have to be as close together or something like that or what is the procedure going to be for uh employee health when they go into a building, do they need to get uh, tested for sickness as they are doing in South Korea at this point? Do they need their temperature taken? Do they need hand sanitizer upon every hour or so? It's hard to say. It's really hard to say for sure what will be coming, but it, it, it truly doesn't, would be naive to say, I think that, Nothing will change after this. We, uh, as the old saying goes, the the Rubicon is already crossed. Now, how will it change in schools? These are some of the ways I, I really think it could possibly change in schools. One, we need to think about, at least for, say, the next few months once kids start going back to school we need to start thinking about how can we minimize the spread of 
possible disease. And one of these things would be having teachers switch classrooms instead of students switch classrooms. Because typically what you see, to be honest, kids don't have the best sense of hygiene. And once they start touching different objects, right, it be- then that's how community spread happens. So if we say... Uh, mandate in schools that doors stay open so uh, students aren't touching door handles as often, then we have teachers switch classrooms instead of students, it remains the same. And of course, we're talking about more, talking about this is more relevant to uh, uh, middle school and, and high school students. If they don't change classrooms, then it very much cuts down on the need, on the uh, chance of community spread. And I'm proposing these things because, honestly, it, it's, it's important that, that we do get back to some sense of normalcy. And it's important that we get creative with developing that sense of normalcy. Because if we, if the government just says, go back to what you're doing, Sure, you'll have some people going back to what they're doing, but it's it'll be surrounded by still a sense of fear, a sense of trepidation by a lot of people. Just because the government says go back to normal doesn't mean things are going to go back to normal. And good governing has always been something where uh, programs are made in a way where people can have some feeling of comfort in knowing that their leaders have thought things through, or at least appears have thought things through. You never want a kind of governing where it just seems a policy was made sort of out of the blue or randomly. It needs to be well thought through and well developed and well explained. Because the more questions that people have, the more trepidation people are going to have in in uh, f- participation. The more people are going to want to stay home, the less people are going to want to send their kids to school or go out to restaurants, things like that. Go, going back to normal. So you need, you need a continued sense of continuity and normalcy and, uh, and procedures put in place to where people have comfort through the existence of these procedures. And that's something, as I've studied some of the best governments and some of the best and worst ways people have have, uh, governed in the course of history, it seems that putting those procedures in place is exactly what people need to have the assurance that they can go back to as a sense of normalcy because you can't put the you can't unboil the egg at this point you can't just say things never happened because they did happen and i would like to prevail upon you that we can go back to normal and we will go back to normal but we can't go back to the same normal things have to change and these are a few ideas of mine how they will change But they have to go back to normal. We can't just sit here locked in this lockdown indefinitely. Because 
as we've seen in Italy and as I have projected in the past few minutes, it will have massive societal consequences. And we need to start coming up with creative solutions on how to deal with this. And I think I've found a quote that kind of very much speaks to this idea. And it's from Star Trek. Picard, in the last episode, Picard tells Soji, quote, To say it's impossible is a failure of imagination. And what we need here is not just directive, not just control, not just government power, not just money thrown at the problem, because money doesn't uh, fix the problem here. What we need is creativity, imagination, ideas about how we could practically go back to normal. Think about that. To say it's impossible is a failure of imagination. This has been Drew Malone with a take. Thanks for listening.